104.7 The Cave. KKLH, Marshfield, Springfield. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs radio network. Touchdown, Kansas City! Now, it's time for Ned Talk. Joe Weston in the studio. You know I hate saying that, but I did. It's obvious I'm in the studio. I've got a microphone in front of me, and here I am talking. And we're on the radio. Not garbage radio, but real sports radio, because we sit around and we talk coherently with each other sometimes about sports. And I'm joined, of course, by the namesake for the show, Ned Brennels. Ned, how are you on this steamy Sunday afternoon? It really is. It's been a very unusual weather pattern that we've had, but this is not a weather show. But as a hot weather fan... We could make it into a weather show if you we're like. We're not going to, though. Okay. All right. <laughs> just I thought maybe you might want it to be a weather yeah, show. I was just complaining here to Josh a few seconds ago. It's still so warm and I had an opportunity, and, and I loved every second of it, to be out in a an open situation two nights ago. Now I am sitting around itching like I have never itched before in my life. And the reason is I because... Thought you, wait a minute. You said itching. Yes. I thought you said something. <laughs> uh, no, the one with a B I do all the time. Okay, well, I, I thought... Oh, it's, now this is itching, and it's chiggers. And Lord, oh, really? It, and this is this is October. Chiggers yeah. are supposed to be gone. They should be gone. <laughs> Where were you at that you got chiggers? Down in Ozark for the opening of the middle down there. That okay. Thursday. All right. Well, how was it? It was sensational. Right. Absolutely sensational. Ozark Mountain Daredevils were the were the key performers, and they haven't missed a beat, guys. Oh, they're great. Fantastic. And Josh Roberts is with us. He was he's here today. John decided he'd go to the football game. Yeah. And I hope he gets rained on. <laughs> Are you, Josh? I'm doing great. I, I got out and played a little frisbee golf this morning with uh, some a couple people that you know. So yeah, I know. And uh, one of them's a very close friend of mine, and he doesn't invite me to play frisbee golf <laughs> with him. Uh, now he Mike will. Mike the intern. So yeah. By the way, I'd like to be invited to play frisbee. I won't go, but it's just nice to be invited. <laughs> it's good to be invited. That's right. <laughs> all right. Let's let's cut all this stuff out. Let's talk about football. Chiefs got back to the winning ways last week. Well, what does that game mean to you, Ned? Mixed emotions. They were able to beat what's really a Midland team. Philadelphia is averaged and maybe a little bit above average. They did get a big win today over the Carolina Panthers on the road. But in terms of being a championship contender, they probably are not. And yet they put 30 points on the board against the Chiefs and had three touchdowns called back. Well, that is not a positive. The positive is what Philadelphia gave up. But every team is going to give that up to Kansas City. Maybe not that many points, but the Chiefs can really rack up the big uh, the big numbers, as we all know, and they were able to do so. Not a convincing victory. Tonight's game is very important for both these teams. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But the fact of the matter remains, I think this is an extremely important game for both the for both the Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills. And it may be a compromise game because it does look as though heavy weather is coming into Kansas City. What do you think, Josh? What did you take away from last week's game? An ugly win is still a win, you know. Uh, and the, it, it didn't show me much as far as the progress of the Chiefs' defense, but they were able to eke out a win, an ugly one at that. But uh, it's, you know, they got back on the board, the winning ways. So hopefully they can build from that. The big thing is hanging on to the football. There weren't as many oh, yeah. turnovers for the Kansas City Chiefs last week. They did look, I thought the offense would seem to be back clicking and on all gears again. But 
Philadelphia, if there's going to be a but here, the Philadelphia Eagles are not the best defensive team in the world. Oh, no. matter of fact, they're very far away from being the best defensive team. And that's why tonight's game is so important for both these teams. The Buffalo Bills are 3-1 and one on the year. And the Chiefs coming in have, have the type of attack offensively that's going to be awfully tough for Buffalo to stop, although Buffalo has the top defensive team in the NFL. That in and of itself is very misleading. Their record is three and one. The teams that they have beaten are some of the weakest. The Miami Dolphins shut them out 35 nothing. The Washington football team beat them big. Last week shut out the Houston Texans 40 to nothing. Come on, these teams are bottom feeders. Now it's time for them to face a big timer, and the Chiefs are a big timer. How Buffalo reacts to this, what they take from last year's championship game, of course, you can't compare different seasons as such and it was the championship game last year but the Chiefs owned that team 38-24 will they be able to get away with that tonight this is a big test for the Kansas City defense because Buffalo can rack up the points Josh Allen is an effective quarterback not one of the all-time greats but he is an effective quarterback has a receiving core in uh, Stefan Diggs and Cole Beasley, who are really effective receivers and a running game that's a little bit better than average. So let's, let's just see what happens. It could be extremely interesting. What do you think, Josh? Well, I, Buffalo worries me because they are, they are solid. I mean, they are solid on defense. They're solid on offense. Yes, they haven't played great teams, but like we talk about all the time, this is the NFL. So there's a level that all these teams are able to perform at. And, and, Buffalo is is killing these teams, which is what they should do if they are a, a good team. So, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm concerned about tonight's game. We'll, well see. I, I wouldn't say tonight's game was a trap game, but it certainly is a game that you're looking at and you go, this is a measure of how good the Chiefs are at this point in the season. That's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's a measuring stick, and if their defense is improved as they allow that it's going to be with the Oh, the return of certain players, Willie Gay Jr. and Frank Clark, are probably going to play a little bit tonight, if not the whole game. How much that affects the defense, I did notice a little comment that was made last week in that Chris Jones, the person said, appears to not know what's going on. Now, that's what we talked about from game one. He's out of position. He does not know this position. Yeah. And this is... Hey, pro football is an intricate game, and he's coming over from the defensive end to play a kind of a quasi-hybrid outside linebacker and defensive end on the other side, and he is not accustomed to that. Uh, he's going to have to become more aware, and, and he will. He's a good football player. But what's going to happen in the interim? And are the opposing teams, that's why I think this game's so important, are the opposing teams going to pick on that weakness? And you would have to think certainly they are with every possible weapon that they have. One of the things that I heard last week when I was watching the game, one of the announcers said, this is what this Chiefs defense is built for, to be up by 14 points. That in itself is a flaw. Yeah. And I, I, I it, it struck me when he said it because I thought, are you crazy? And then I thought about it for a minute. You and I talked about it during the week. I, I think he's right that they are built to pin their ears back, go after the quarterback, and take advantage of mistakes that quarterbacks make when they're in a passing, predictable situation. But nobody gives the Chiefs 14 points before they start a game. <laughs> it's a bend-to-don't-break defense right. that gives up an awful lot of yardage. 
in the past years, teams have had trouble in the red zone against Kansas City, but they aren't this year. They're giving up touchdowns when teams have penetrated that far and huge gaps of yardage. That's why I'm anxious to see what Buffalo is able to do tonight. Of course, it may not be a fair judgment point if the conditions, weather conditions are compromised, and I think they're probably going to be. In fact, looking at this radar here, I believe it may already be raining up in Kansas City. But the fact is that it, it will be a major challenge for both teams because Buffalo has to win. They have to prove themselves. They're 3-1, and one, but is it a legitimate 3-1? and one? Right. A win tonight, and yes, it is legitimate. What do you think about that, Josh? Do you think the Buffalo Bills are a legitimate team at this point? Oh, I do. I do. And I think you look at the last couple of years, they've been a legitimate team. My thing, going back to what you just said about the, that philosophy of defense, that's a terrible philosophy to have on defense. Unless you've got Derek Thomas that can come around the end and sack the quarterback seven times in a game. And they don't have anybody that can do that right now. They don't have an outside rusher. They're not clogging up the middle enough to where the running backs are getting caught on the edge. So that defensive scheme is not going to work if they keep doing it. I talked to my friend Kyra Horn this week, and I was talking to her about the game, and she said... You know, this is the same as it was the year that the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. Their, def- their defense stinks, and then they came together, and they were able to win the Super Bowl. My point to her when we were talking about it was, hey, you would think at this point the Chiefs wouldn't need to come together anymore defensively. Right. So you just go out and play a Matador defense, Olay, but we'll outscore you. <laughs> no, that does not work, and it isn't quite the same as it was in that Super Bowl year they, they could play defense. They just were geared to a certain level, and they did stop teams that were in the red zone back then, except for Tom Brady, who took them right down the field and scored in overtime. Did not stop him in that particular playoff game, but that was a year before. And in this case, yes, there are similarities to what they're doing, but I wonder about the Spagnola level of defense and what he is trying to implement, and does he have the players? Guys, I'm, we've talked about this time and time and time again, but I really believe this is the case. We are isolated down here. Yes, mm-hmm. for sure. We hear nothing but all of the positive media that you want to hear from Kansas City. We don't hear it from the other teams. They're not sitting around with their thumb where the sun doesn't shine at all. They're getting better, too, and they have smart people coaching these teams. There are ways to defend. There are ways to coach. Andy Reid is a very good coach. There's no doubt about that. His track record speaks for itself. But the other coaches are pretty doggone good, too, and they can get some things done. Well, Andy Reid's a one of the great offensive minds. He has a tremendous mind for drawing up plays that nobody else has thought of, drawing up schemes that are hard to do things with. And he has all the tools. He has everything at his disposal. Now, on the other side of the ball, I think it's a total disaster because Steve Spagnola has not fixed anything that's going mm-hmm. on. And and if you don't have the tools to get the job done, then you've got to make an adjustment as a coach with what you have to get the job done. Right. Maybe there, maybe your scheme needs to be adjusted. Your point's well taken, too, about uh, Reed having the offensive uh, quote-unquote genius that he does. He does. That's true. He has a very good, uh, very good concept of how an offense should be played if he has the horses to do it, and that's why they draft the way they do for a Patrick Mahomes and a Tyreek Hill and people of that caliber. Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Why are we adding Josh Gordon to the team? 
where's somebody to help out on defense? Right. Well, we, we talked about that the week before. First of all, let me say you are listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 <laughs> The Cave, your local live sports pregame show that we have here. We're, we're what holds down the fort before the Chiefs pregame show takes over in about uh, 48 minutes or so. But let's talk about that for a second. We discussed before they signed Josh Gordon as because we have a crystal ball here in the studio, in case you don't know, <laughs> that we were looking into our crystal ball and it says, who do the Chiefs go to? Because especially after Sammy Watkins gutted them a little bit when he played for the Ravens, we said, okay, Cole Hardeman's got to step up. Byron Pringle's got to step up. Those guys have not stepped up. So the Chiefs get another offensive weapon. This guy hasn't played in two years. But we're going to assume that he has not been sitting on the sofa for two years eating bonbons and reading magazines. He's been staying physically fit. There were a lot of teams that looked at him and said, we'd like to have him. And he's been clean for two years. He has a tremendous amount of off-field issues. His upside on the field, he's a number one receiver. Definitely. But off the field, he has some problems. How much do you think Josh Gordon's going to help them? Well, he'll help them from the very fact that he is a big receiver. He's 6'3 and about 225, 230, and apparently has a pretty good attitude. But you have to say, wait a minute, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not making reference to the punitive measures against him. A good attitude, a good IQ of football. After all, he led the NFL in receiving in 2013, I think it was, with the Cleveland Browns. He has spent almost his entire career in the Browns organization. I think it's nine years with Cleveland and maybe one with Seattle and one with somebody else. Wherever it's been, he's had problems. If he can keep himself clean, Yes, and, and, and keep himself in shape and get in shape. I don't give a dog on what anybody does, tells you. He may not have been sitting around doing whatever, but the fact is he hasn't played. And hasn't there been is hit. A, he has right. not been hit. And there is a very big difference between being in game condition and practicing well and having that rhythm that players get into. And this is not just football. This is every sport. But you get into a certain mental state in which you know and expect things to happen, and you're going to work yourself into that caliber of thinking. He hasn't had that. Now, can he get it back? I assume he's a relatively bright guy. I assume that. But we'll find out pretty shortly. He may play a little bit tonight, uh, depending on what the circumstances are and what he does. And he may have a few catches. I hope he does. But again, that's what's that going to prove right now? It's stopping the Buffalo Bills is their key. The Chiefs know they can score and score on anybody. It's a high-powered offense, and that's how teams are stopping them, keeping that offense off the field. Josh, what do you think about Josh Gordon? What do, you, do you think he's going to make a difference to the team this year? Well, when, when they officially said that they had signed him, I think I turned to John and said, they'll get five games out of him before he fails the drug test again. But I'm being a little too hard on the guy. I hope that it's a, a good offensive weapon for the Chiefs. It'll, if anything, hopefully it'll pull some of the double teams off of Kelsey or Tyreek Hill, open up the field a little bit more for their high-powered offense. But like we keep saying, we keep coming back to the same broken record. The defense is not being addressed properly. There's something wrong with the defense. It's not working. Obviously, you can't be the worst defense in the NFL and expect to win a championship. You can't. It just doesn't happen. And so they've they've got to do something to address that. You got a pretty good defensive line and Frank Clark 
Uh, Alex Okafor is on that line, too. He's, he's shown flashes that he's a good player. Uh, you're looking at Chris Jones coming back. And Jaron Reed, who has name has not come up much this season. He's a good a, pickup. He's a good pickup, but he hasn't gotten into the scheme of things yet. Yeah, they Which, had a lot of expectations for him. Really disappointing to me because one of the things I heard about him when he came over from Seattle is that he... I think it's him and Frank Clark get double teamed more than any other two players in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So you, you you got to let one of those guys free. And I think Clark being out of position has really hurt him this season. It, you know, isn't it time after you're a quarter of the way through the season, isn't it time to stop making a, a coaching adjustment? Well, Joe, he's had hamstring problems. So yeah. he's been limited in the amount of time. The one that you just brought up there, Okafor, is an extremely interesting case. He was cut. Chiefs got rid of him, and now they have him back again because I guess he went through all the waivers and so forth and nobody else wanted him. So now they have him back playing. Is the guy that effective? If they cut him once, what is it that they believe that he's going to be so revitalized an individual to come back on that D-line? The one who is the... Clark, Clark is a problem because of his injuries and so forth and his social status, although his court appearance isn't going to be until January sometime, so that's really in the distant future, is Chris Jones. And Jones has not reacted the way they thought he was going to in the new position. That part of it is a big problem. The linebackers, you do have Hitchens, but Hitchens has been banged up a little bit. Willie Gay Jr. would be a help. The Bolton kid from the University of Missouri has been a big help. D-backs have not been a big help. They, Even though you have Honey Badger back there, you're getting diced by pretty good quarterbacks, and you can't have that happen. That's why, again, that's why I feel like this game is so important tonight because, Josh, uh, the, the Buffalo Bills are going to be able to do this, and Josh Allen can do that. He has that type of quarterbacking skills that make him the effective kind of QB he is, and with his receivers who are very good. Diggs and Beasley, that's just two of them. They have others in there who are very effective. And how they are able to maneuver their game plan against a Chiefs defensive backfield that hasn't been real overpoweringly good this year, we'll see. Again, this is early in the season, and lots of changes lots of changes can and doggone well probably should take place here before it's all over. Let's talk about this for just a second. I got a chance, uh, and I'm sure you guys did too, on uh, that last Monday night game. Uh, L.A. versus Las Vegas. What struck me about those two teams defensively, I didn't think either team was great defensively, but the speed at which they played, they make the Chiefs look slow. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. They play very, very fast defense. Both those teams do. Mm -hmm. And the adjustment has not been... the. We always talk about the league coming back to a team, whether it's any sport, uh, baseball, basketball, football, and the league has come to the Chiefs, and they've addressed, this is the team that's winning. How do we stop that team? And especially teams within the conference, they're going, we're going to play these guys twice. How do we beat them? Speed. And that, look at the Raiders and look at the Chargers. They're both very quick defenses. Speed kills. And the Chiefs look slow. They look slow and old. And you watch, you isolate tonight, Assuming the conditions are optimal, and I don't think they will be, but you watch Chris Jones. 
and you watch him down there in his position on the other side, on the left side of the line, and watch how he is diced and taken out of the game because he does not react very well, and he is slow. Now, he's big, and he's fearsome and all that when he is in position, and he's not in position now. Why? Let me ask you this, and we, then we got to go into commercial break. Why? Why? Why haven't they changed back? What they, is it? It's still too early. I think it's still too early in the season for them to come to a, uh, a ra- what they would consider to be a rash decision like that in moving him back. And it's admi- an admission of defeat. And you don't want to do that. You want to say, hey, we knew what we were doing all along. And they may. That may be the case. Well, Let's give them time to see what's going to happen. To me, you put your players in their best position to make the to, to put them in the best a, a position to succeed. And they've taken him out of that. And obviously it's not working. So they need to move him back. Yep. That's what we agree on, you and I, Josh. (laughs) All right, we'll be back in a minute to talk more. Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk. On 104.7, The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Chiefs free game starts in about 35 minutes. I am Joe Weston, joined by my friends Ned Reynolds and Josh Roberts. We're talking sports. What do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about baseball now or you want to talk about Missouri State football? Let's talk about the uh, the Bears first, and then we'll save yeah. the baseball until a little bit later on. That's a tough loss for the Bears. Yeah, a tough, tough loss, but a good team. Well, that's just it. I don't think Youngstown State is the Penguins of the past when they rule the nation as one of the top teams, but they are a team that's getting better. I didn't. Uh, I did. I did see yesterday's game as it was pictorially presented here. It was in Youngstown, Ohio, but I did see them play here this spring. This is the second time in a matter of what, five months, six months that those two teams have played. Hmm. They were here this spring, and they were not as good as the Bears, and the Bears beat them, but they are tough. They're real scrappy and real quick, and they got out in, in, in front of the Bears 17-3 to at one time, and then Missouri State woke up and got back into the ballgame. But the special teams play and defensive play was not what Bobby Petrino wants. I know that's not what he wants, and he's going to have to really concentrate, which he will, and get these players uh, re-upped again in terms of their thinking. Certainly the one loss in the conference, which is their first one, is not going to affect them adversely as far as the playoffs are concerned. At least I don't think it will. But they do have games with Indiana State. That's their homecoming next week. Then, whoa, the eight-time national champions, North Dakota State up in Fargo. Then North Dakota, which was beaten yesterday, comes here to play then Southern Illinois, folks, and Southern Illinois beat the number two team in America yesterday, South Dakota State. Very significant win. These these teams are tough. They are really going to be strong. They'll be out to shoot down the Bears at every single juncture. So the thinking has to be reset. The defense and the concentration in the games has to be readjusted in a way. That's a, That was a tough loss to Youngstown State. 41-33 was the final score, and that's a little bit misleading because it's, it was a, a more decisive than that. Youngstown State had a two-touchdown lead, and some of those touchdowns, guys, came on special teams. Hmm. Kickoff returns, long runs, 
hey, that's not the way this defense is set, and that's not what Coach Petrino hangs his coaching hat on. So I look for some big-time changes coming up. Maybe we could get uh, Coach Petrino Helping out Coach Spagnola <laughs> yeah. with his defense up there. Because I know the Bears' defense is really good. Is that the strong point of the team this year? Yes, and it's one on which uh, Coach Petrino has really made a, a focal point on on challenging with these defensive co- uh, coaches. I know you were being facetious, but there's a great chance that Petrino knows Spagnola. After all, Bobby was coach of the Atlanta Falcons for, an, well, what, uh, 13 games, I think it was. <laughs> yeah, well, a minute. That, I don't mean that to be facetious. And Spagnola was in the league then, too. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm quite sure there are paths I've crossed. But uh, don't sell Coach Petrino short. He is very bright, very astute. And these players want to play for him. And they have focused on that. So this defeat does sting a little bit. We'll see if they come back. Homecoming next week will be a big deal. Oh, I'm not selling him short at all. I'm selling the other coach short. That's what, <laughs> that's what I was doing. <laughs> yes. I, you know, we've talked about this. Coach Petrino, has, uh, he's, had a, he's had a reputation, and whether you like him or not, the reputation is that he's got his eye towards the next thing. So, I mean, you know, could you see the somebody in the NFL calling, somebody, another bigger college program calling him? Do you see that in his future? You know, I don't know. I don't know what his thinking is. Coach Petrino is, well, I'm not going to tell you how old he is, but he is 20 years younger than I am, and that's getting up there in years, guys. Now, whether or not he would want to He's only 26? (laughs) Yeah, 46, yeah. (laughs) Um, The fact is that you're hesitant to make major changes, but then again, the dollar bill speaks well, too. He does have his family here. The family is all part of the coaching staff. And I think that probably weighs rather heavily on what he would think. I, I, but I don't know. I've never, I, well, it's, it's not even an appropriate question to ask him, so it's, it's not going to be. But he only he knows whether or not this is a stopping off point or whether or not he wants to build this team into a national challenger. He's done amazing work here. I know that uh, we were critical of him when he came here, and, I, and rightfully so if you look at the history. But... He's done an amazing job with the Bears. You, We sat here two or three years ago when we first started doing the show, and one of the conversations we had was, should the Bears just dispense with the football program completely? And obviously, no, they shouldn't. They're a nationally ranked team at this point. They're playing some very good football right now against very good football teams. Their losses have been against good football teams. So the yardstick has been set higher than what it was before. And so uh, hats off to Coach Petrino and all the work that he's done there and his staff, too. Joe, I I railed against that comment when it was brought up a couple years ago, and the Bears were struggling. Previous coaching regime of five years had 12 wins and 47 losses, and that's not usually something that's going to stir a lot of human emotion in a positive way. And that's why it was brought up. We never win down here, which, which is absolutely false. I have been around here. Well, yeah. This is my 55th year here. And I've seen teams, yes, we've seen some poor teams, but we've also seen some pretty doggone good ones. It can be done with a change in attitude, a change in culture. And Coach Petrino has brought that in here. After all his years at Arkansas, when he was down at Arkansas, they were national contenders. They won the yeah. Cotton Bowl in, uh, what, 2010, I think it was. His 2011 team was outstanding. The fact of the matter remains that he can coach. He coached. The Heisman Trophy winner, Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens. That was his product at Louisville. This man knows what he's doing. I say stay stay with the whole circumstance, and you're not going to win every game. Case in point is Alabama. 
I have to whisper that. <laughs> did Alabama lose? Yeah. Really? Are, I didn't know that. Are you being serious? No, I'm serious. I've been watching baseball, so I didn't know who they'd lose to. Texas A&M. Wow, down on College Station, mm-hmm. huh? At the gun. At the gun. At the gun. Last second I wonder field why goal. you were so droopy today. <laughs> <laughs> However, it's a good parallel, really, to talk about, because Ned and I were talking about this. The This is, a, for Alabama and for Missouri State, Petrino is a great coach. He has a great pedigree. He is, he is one of the few coaches who can say he beat LSU at Alabama in the same year. Sure you know, I mean, he has the right tools. And and so I think what you hope is that this loss stings enough that he uses it as the a growing opportunity for his players. It they they didn't want to lose this game. They shouldn't have lost this game, and so they can grow from that. They'll work harder. They can they can fix the little mistakes that led to them losing that game. That's what you hope he does, and he's a good enough coach that that's what he will do. I think. And Same with Alabama. Josh is absolutely right. There are minor, and and we look at them now as being minor, but there are little changes in your whole scheme of things and how you do it uh, that are going to make the difference between winning and losing. And this man is adept enough to be able to come up with a formula to follow through with something like that. And in the case of Alabama, you know, doggone well, three point loss at the gun on a field goal. And Alabama had to come from way behind to even tie this game and take a lead, yeah. 38-31. <clears throat> and Texas A&M is – they're a good team. They're not a great team, but they are a good team. They'll be playing Missouri here in a couple of weeks. And how, they, how they're going to react in the west, uh, rest of the Southeastern Conference in the West Division is going to be particularly interesting, I think. But they do have this one win, and that's a big win for them. Oh, yeah. Do you think uh, there will be somebody tomorrow, maybe already today, that's going to make the argument that Alabama should continue to be the number one team in the nation? Well, they aren't. They aren't. The yeah, poll. the poll came out in their fifth. I know, but th- <laughs> but there'll be somebody that's oh, going. Yeah, there's, there will there'll be somebody that's going to make that argument. Yeah, somebody, though. somebody. There will be writers or whoever votes on these things that vote them number one, regardless. But that they're just that's kind of the home cooking thing. Let, yeah, let's put it this way: they have been number one. This is the first loss after twenty consecutive victories. Twenty. Think about that. Yeah. And then you look at the national record, which was twice that many, forty-seven straight by Oklahoma. How on earth did they do that? Well, they did it because they were good, but Wilkinson had his teams well-focused, and they had good players. Ditto Mark Alabama. They have good players. They're focused. They may have come up lame in a game like this uh, and given up some key moments of the operation, but they'll be back. You can count on that, and I would not count them out of a national championship picture at all. They could lose all the games, and somebody would still make an argument. Well, of course. But, Joe, I want you to know that even though I'm one of the biggest Alabama fans in the world, I don't think they're the number one team in the nation right now. Who's the number one team in the Georgia. nation? Georgia. Georgia's a good football team. Georgia looks so good in every aspect of their game, and they are dominating everyone. Absolutely. Well, we'll talk more about baseball and football coming up next on Ned Talk. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave, part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. 
You know that Ned Reynolds and I are baseball fans. The sad state of baseball is that I have to constantly look for where the baseball game is at to find it to watch it. Is it on this channel? No. Is it on this channel? No. Is it on this channel? Oh, we're probably just not getting it. Oh, baseball. Please don't go on strike. That's all I can say. Yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to find the baseball game sometime, which is, is frustrating. I can find any college football game I want to watch, find almost anything on the NFL that I want to watch, but a baseball game, I can watch preseason basketball if I want to. <laughs> That's easier to find than watching playoff baseball. That doesn't but, make any sense to me. No, it doesn't. It's doesn't all mean. based on demographics and what the TV people in New York and Los Angeles who are inherently smarter than we are. Out here. Well, but for me, being a casual baseball fan, I love watching the playoffs. So this is when they need to be pumping up the TV coverage. Of course it is. and But Joe is absolutely right. Some of these games... And I tried to find one on Saturday that had started early and could not find it. It was not on my yeah. system at all. Hmm. It's really hard to watch the baseball games. I, I've been looking around everywhere to try to find the game. And usually all that I can find is Red Sox and the uh, Rays. I've not been able to find uh, Houston and uh, the Chicago, Chicago White, White Sox. Sox. Were, their them. first one was on. The first couple of them from the Astrodome. <laughs> I, just, ah, I just dated myself from uh, the Minute Maid Park, Park in Houston. Yeah. The, they, those two were on. Then they moved it, or will move it now, to uh, Chicago to play. The second one I could not find. The first one was right there. It was one of the opening mm. games. And the Astros folks are a pretty good baseball team. You may not like them. They may have bent the rules a little bit. They may have, <laughs> may have created a lot of public acclaim as to, or disclaim as to, how they have cheated and so forth, but they are still a very good baseball team and could very well be in the World Series. What have you taken away from the first few games of the playoffs? Well, Tampa Bay is very good, although they got shellacked. Yep. 14 to 6, I think it was, by the yep. Boston Red Sox wow. in the game in Tampa. Well, now the series moves to Fenway Park, and that's where they'll play starting tomorrow. These are. Let's see, am I right on this? These are the American League games today. The National League is off today. National League resumes tomorrow. These are best of five series. The best of seven divisional series is is really the, the core of what playoff baseball is going to be because that's where your World Series teams are going to come from. I do like what I've seen so far. The Dodgers and Giants, my goodness sake, these are bitter rivals, and the Dodgers really took them to task. This is a Giants team when you take a look at their lineup yeah, who are these guys? Who are they? It's it is a team of no names, and none of them, none of the big names on that team, such as a big name Buster Posey and people like that, are young. They're all in their mid thirties, and here they are, an over the hill gang in baseball, and they only won one hundred and seven games this year. It's amazing. That's pretty good. Where do we stand at in the playoffs right now? Dodgers and Giants are one one, and they they resume their series tomorrow at Dodger Stadium. And as far as the Braves and the uh, Milwaukee Brewers, also one-to-one, and they go to Atlanta starting tomorrow. The American League is on today. And we're looking at 1-1 as far as the Rays and the Red Sox go, and then the other series, Houston's Astros have a 2-0 lead over Chicago. Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago's probably the weakest team that's in the playoffs right now. It's interesting that you would would make that assessment because when you look at their lineup, La Russa has power. Yeah. Power and power, but he does not have great pitching on the team. 
Now you have you have good guys who've been around Lance Lynn and people like this, but and Giolato. Giolato is a very good pitcher. That's just naming two of them. But their whole pitching staff, though, may be what's their Achilles heel here, and we'll we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, your linchpin and one of your linchpins of that pitching staff is Lance Lynn, and I'm not knocking him, but he's been. If you had said midseason that the Cardinals had acquired Lance Lynn back to the team, then people would be like, oh, my gosh, I can't. Because he kind of goes in that category of, of J.A. Happ and, uh, and John Lester. Yeah. So what do the Cardinals do? Where do they pick up the pieces at? Well, you make a very good challenge. I'm, I'm, wondering, I'm wondering what they will do. Now, not, nothing can happen until after the World Series, of course. But I, they have to make... In my opinion, they have to bring in another one and maybe two starting pitchers. First of all, Hap and Lester will probably be back, but you can't count on those guys. Lester's 38 years old. Adam Wainwright, who's the key of the team, will be 41 at midseason next year. Yeah. Now, is he going to continue? He, he is still a crafty pitcher. But again, that's not going to last forever. But the fact of the matter remains, he can still pitch right now. I still think the Cardinals need to bring up the Libertor kid and let him let him cut his teeth in Major League Baseball. He's the one they got with from the uh, Tampa Bay Rays, and he can pitch. Now he can pitch in the minor leagues. Can he pitch in the major leagues? He has. He was Tampa Bay's number one pitcher, but yet they decided he was expendable when they made the trade with the Cardinals. And who do they get? Randy Arena and people like that. All he did was steal home this week. <laughs> yeah, I was going to bring that up. That That's a pretty awesome thing that happened. Yeah. He stole home. That They said that hasn't happened in the play. What they, I can't remember if they said it hadn't happened since Jackie Robinson or hadn't happened in the playoffs. That was in the World Series when Jackie Robinson yeah. played against the New York Yankees. I remember it very well. Came home, stole home. And uh, Yogi Berra thought he had tagged him out. Replays show that he probably did tag him out, but the umpire called Robinson safe, and Yogi went absolutely yes. ballistic. <laughs> I would have loved to have heard that conversation. Would oh, you yeah. love to hear what would have came out of Yogi Berra's mouth when, he said, when all that happened? Do you think, what about the Nolan Gorman kid? Is he is he going to come to the yes. Cardinals and add a bat to that, another bat to that lineup? I think he, I think he'll start the season next year with the club. He's that good a player. He owned the Texas League down here. He wasn't Texas League Player of the Year, but he was certainly a very valuable part of what the Springfield Cardinals did down here, and they did have a bad year. But fact remains that Gorman did a lot. He was a big stick. And I do think he'll he'll begin with the Cardinals. He is the main Cardinal, a big club. I think he'll be there, and they have they have a good nucleus of what they're going to do. I was telling Josh earlier that what impressed me – in the postseason, their their late game. First of all, they have a 17-game winning streak. What did they do in this 17-game winning streak that was different from everything else? I'll tell you what they did. They played small ball. They played sacrifice. They played hit hit them where they ain't. In the playoffs, a game in Los Angeles that the Cardinals lost, Dylan Carlson, why didn't you do this all season long? Infield pulled around. Carlson's a left-hander. Pulled around to right, stuck out his bat late, lined a little dribbler, just beyond the dirt, base it. That's yeah. how you do it. You could come on. It yep. doesn't take it. I'm hardly a genius, and you can figure this out. That's what you do with your players. Well, that's what the Cardinals started to do. Start to steal bases, play small ball, get people in scoring position, let the big guns bring them home. Tommy Edmond had a couple of stolen bases in the Dodgers game. Cardinals could have won that game. 
But the fact is that they do need some help uh, in the starting pitching rotation, and I think they need one other reliever in there as well. Do you think it finally kind of clicked with the Cardinals lineup because best example that I can give that comes to mind for me was Terry Pendleton was he was an okay player when he played for the Cardinals okay he he was 260 270 hitter probably hit 10 12 home runs a year okay player goes to the Atlanta Braves and then he's in a lineup where he sits between Ron Gant and David Justice who were each 30 home run guys and all he had to do was get a base hit and he excelled when he went to the Braves and this is so important, I think, for lay baseball people to understand that where you hit in an order is so important to the game. Oh, yeah. And those, and those guys have to get on base so that Arenado and uh, Goldschmidt aren't hitting solo shots. And O'Neill. And there, therein lies, and again, we pointed this out, Joe, the chemistry of that team. And by chemistry, we're talking about the batting order, the way it was shaped and how the players were brought together was not very good. Yeah. That's why they didn't play very well. Then when they made key adjustments in there and guys like O'Neill and people like that were put in a different position, uh, well, for one, for one thing, Goldschmidt batted second, and then you had O'Neill third and Arnauto fourth. Yeah. On uh, Hey, come on, that's going to work. Break that up those guys. Order. Yeah. You've yeah, got exactly. to have them in key strategic positions, and, and Schilt knows this. He's a baseball guy. But it took them a while to really get that chemistry going. Be interesting to see how the Cardinals, what they do in the offseason, because baseball season is just as good as the regular season to me. So I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. We're about 10 minutes away from the start of the pregame show. We'll be back with our Players of the Week. You're listening to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. Part of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. Back to Ned Talk on 104.7 The Cave. A proud member of the Kansas City Chiefs Radio Network. It is time for our Players of the Week. Last week brought to you by Morrison, Webster, and Carlton. We will start with Ned. Again, you don't have to pick the game. You can pick any sport. You do whatever you want. It's your show. Well, we're going to go and stay in football, but it's not going to be with the Kansas City Chiefs. It's going okay. to be Lamar Jackson of the Baltimore Ravens, who took his team, and of course he doesn't own it, but he was the quarterback, uh, took his team out to Denver and played the Denver Broncos, who were pretty good. That was last week. And Jackson was 22 of 37 through the air for one touchdown and 316 yards, and the Ravens beat a good Broncos team 23 to 7. I really felt like that was a key opportunity for Baltimore to really go belly up, and they did not do it. Lamar Jackson would not let them do it, and so I'm going to give him my nod as player of the game or player of the week. How many rushing yards did he have? He had. I'm going to. Uh, he had seven rushes, 29 yards. So he wow. did. He did scamper a bit, but mostly it was his throwing. <laughs> scamper. Scamper. I like that you term. I don't like my old term. No, I like no, scamper. I, I like it. It's just the imagery of a guy scampering on a football field. That just seems that seems strange to me. All right. Josh, your pick for our play of the week last I'll, week. I'll stick with the Chiefs. I'm going to give it to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Dang it. For last week. because he stole that from me. I'm sorry. I didn't know. That's two weeks in a row that he's gotten 100 yards or more rushing. He had 14 carries for 107 last week. 
and they eked out that win. So hopefully that's a trend with him that he's going to start really producing those hundred plus yeah. yard games, and that just helps that offense. He hung on to the ball too. Yeah, he didn't fumble. It's great. My player of the week, uh, if you're a Boston fan, was John Carlos Stanton mm-hmm. for the New York Yankees because he opened his big fat mouth <laughs> before the game was played oh, and no. said, we cannot be stopped. Well, apparently they can't be stopped. Ouch. And then he uh, admired a long single, and I think that set the tone for that game. I'll tell you what so, that did, too. I saw him hit that ball, and, and my thought when he hit it was, let's go on. That's a home run. This is Fenway Park. Green Monster's not that far away. And then, no, 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 John Carlos, don't, don't stand there. Run. Don't, yeah, don't run. stand. And he didn't. Don't and because Cadillac. the air is heavier, and at this time of the year in Boston it is, you're right there next to the ocean, you're right on the coast, and because you have cooler air, the ball did not leave the ballpark. At the top of the wall, came back in, and because he, I'm not going to use the term, but because he fooled around there at Cadillac. That's the term. Cadillac. Cadillac. He never got beyond first base. Let's do our predictions for tonight's game the Buffalo Bills and the Kansas City Chiefs and Arrowhead. Ned, who do you got? Well, I think you have to take into consideration the factors involved. And just looking at this, it may be raining and the game may be delayed at times. They can't play during lightning, they're long delays. That's looking at the, the intangible. You don't know that's going to happen, but I think it will. I'm going to say the Chiefs win this one in a dogfight. I don't think it'll be quite as high scoring as everybody thinks it will be. I'm looking at the Chiefs winning it somewhere around, uh, oh, I'm going to say 34, and Buffalo has 27. 34-27. Josh, you- I'm, going to, I'm going to say Chiefs 24-20 uh, with good production from Hilaire this evening. Okay, I'm, I'm picking against the Chiefs this week. I'm making a legitimate pick against the Chiefs. I think the Bills are for real, mm-hmm. so I'm going to pick them to win the game tonight, and I'm going to go 35-32. Ooh. Now, who? I want to know who of everybody in this room picked the winning score right. I did. Last I did week? 42. I said 42. Oh. Now, the other part. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute now. I said 42. 42. What did you say for Philadelphia? 42-17, I, I believe, was well, the score. I had it 42 to 30, as a matter of fact. Oh, you. Uh... <laughs> All right, get set. The real guys are coming in next. Mitch Holtis, Art Haynes, Dan Israel. If you want to download us as a podcast, do so. 1047thecave.com.